When you look in the mirror, are you happy with what you see? Every day, we're bombarded by images of flawless Photoshop models. We all know what's being sold, perfection. In a world consumed with selfies and Snapchat filters, more and more people are hyper aware of their looks and how they don't compare to the unrealistic images we see daily. Though all of us have imperfections in our appearance, they rarely interfere with our day-to-day -day life. It's one thing, though, to use a filter to enhance your latest Instagram post, but something else entirely when the obsession over a flaw consumes all aspects of life. People with body dysmorphic disorder, or BDD, suffer with just that affliction. It's a psychiatric condition that revolves around a fixation with an imagined effect in appearance or a distorted view of one's body image. For the nearly 3 million Americans impaired with BDD, the perceived flaw is significant and prominent and all-consuming, often causing severe emotional distress and difficulty in daily functioning. On this episode of Unmasking a Murderer, we'll look at the case of Teresa Mary Ramirez, whose life after surviving breast cancer was in turmoil from BDD. In September 1988, her plastic surgeon agreed to remove her healthy remaining breast and reconstructed both with silicone implants if she wanted them to be the same size. And so began an eight-year saga of increasing obsession and frustration as she attempted over and over again to reclaim the lost beauty of her breast and to fix what doctors increasingly viewed as imaginary complaints of pain and discomfort. Finally, after 13 breast reconstruction surgeries, Ms. Ramirez decided to take justice into her own hands and seek revenge on the plastic surgeons she held responsible. On the morning of July 3rd, 1997, plastic surgeon Michael Tavis and his wife Deborah were in a rush to get to their Petaluma, California clinic. The newlyweds had just celebrated Deborah's 45th birthday the previous day, and the festive mood hadn't quite worn off yet. They were running late for an 8.30 a.m. appointment, so Deborah, who also worked in the clinic, tried to reach office manager Kay Carter to let her know they were on their way. But strangely, she got no answer. As the passionate surgeon sped away from his nearby family home that morning, he had no idea of the fate that awaited him at his beloved practice. When they pulled into the driveway next to the clinic, Deborah noticed something unusual. Kay's car was parked nearby, but their patient was waiting by the entrance as if Kay wasn't in yet. Deborah and Dr. Tavis entered through the rear door and smelled coffee brewing, but were greeted by an eerie silence. They both had a feeling that something was not quite right. As Deborah slipped into the kitchen to touch up her makeup, she overheard a woman talking calmly to her husband of just over a year. I've seen 28 surgeons, the voice explained in a controlled tone. Dr. Tavis replied reassuringly, I'm sorry, I care. Then, gunshots, loud and deafening, reverberated through the office. The first tore into Dr. Tavis's chest, while the second struck him in the back as he fled down the hall. 
hit two more times, he collapsed onto 59-year-old Kay, who, though still alive, had also been shot and was bleeding from a head wound. Deborah fled through the back door with her life, but Dr. Tabas was not so fortunate. The 53-year-old father of three died that morning in his clinic's reception area. Authorities were immediately on the case to find out who was responsible for this callous crime. Three days later, they got their answer. 48-year-old Teresa Ramirez was found by staff at the Harbor Court Hotel in San Francisco. She was on the floor of her room in a diabetic coma. When they searched her handbag for medication, they found instead two guns, $5,000 in cash, and a small notebook containing a hit list of doctors headed by the name Michael Tavis. She immediately became their number one suspect. Teresa Ramirez was a registered orthopedic nurse who grew up in South San Francisco. Though she lived alone with her Cocker Spaniel, she was close with her siblings and had made a very comfortable life for herself. Teresa first consulted Dr. Michael Tavis after losing her right breast to cancer in 1988. After meeting her, Dr. Tavis had written in his medical record that she was a delightful 36-year-old lady. But Teresa soon developed a reputation for being difficult to deal with among staff at Petaluma Valley Hospital. In September 1988, Dr. Tavis agreed to remove her healthy remaining breast and in January 1989, reconstructed both with silicone implants. Painful scar tissue formed as a result, so he operated again to remove them. Not long afterwards, Teresa complained that her new implants were leaking and uneven in size. Dr. Tavis then performed yet another surgery. This was only the beginning of Teresa's 13 total breast surgeries and what would become her deadly pursuit for perfection. In the early 1990s, she sought financing from her HMO for a new procedure, a cosmetic request they refused. Teresa's response was to go to Dr. Tavis and threaten to puncture her implants herself. Then in 1992, she was awarded $100,000 in damages after claiming that one of her breast implants was punctured when her pickup truck was rear-ended in a car accident. Her insurance enabled her to pay Dr. William Shaw, head of plastic surgery at UCLA. He performed a tram flap procedure in which fat from her abdomen was used to fill her breast, replacing the silicone. Dr. Shaw confirmed after her surgery that both implants were in fact intact after her car accident. Yet even after several more follow-up surgeries by Dr. Shaw, Teresa remained dissatisfied. Her sister-in-law, Laura Ramirez, said in her defense, she just kept trying to get it right, but felt like it was botched. That year, Teresa sued Dr. Tavis for malpractice, but in 1995, her suit was dismissed because her attorney was unable to produce any evidence. Afterwards, Teresa's behavior became increasingly erratic. In mid-1995, she stalked into Dr. Tavis's office and called him a butcher in front of a waiting patient. She also confronted Dr. Robert Fees, who worked for her HMO, creating a scene in his office by exposing her breast. Teresa's sister, Patricia Bushman, believes it was when Teresa was diagnosed with diabetes the following year, though, that pushed her over the edge. As soon as she found out, Patricia said, something in her mind 
just clicked off. On the day of Dr. Tavis's murder, Teresa first drove to the Santa Rosa home of her HMO doctor. He was out of town, but his name was on the list later found in her hotel room. Investigators also discovered an Amtrak ticket to Van Nuys, California, just a 10-minute drive from the office of her other plastic surgeon, Dr. Shaw. After being found in a diabetic coma shortly after shooting Dr. Tavis and his office manager, Kay Carter, Teresa Ramirez regained consciousness and was arrested. In February of 1999, Teresa Ramirez stood trial for the murder of Dr. Michael Tavis and the attempted murder of Kay Carter, whose injuries left her brain damaged, wheelchair-bound, and unable to speak. Teresa appeared gaunt and sickly in the Sonoma County courtroom and had attempted suicide by hanging shortly after being arrested. Her defense attorney, Harry Allen, entered a dual plea of not guilty and not guilty by reason of insanity. He maintained that Teresa did not remember the shootings and that she suffered from a debilitating mental illness called body dysmorphic disorder. This affliction caused her to have a completely distorted view of herself and the surgical procedure she underwent. Dr. Tavis's medical record was not squeaky clean. He had multiple lawsuits filed by patients claiming their surgeries hadn't given them the results they expected. But incriminating evidence presented by the prosecution painted a grim picture of Teresa and her crimes. Richard Waller, a ballistics expert from the State Department of Justice, said the hollow point bullets used to kill Dr. Tavis and wound Kay Carter came from a 38 caliber revolver belonging to the defendant. It was one of the two guns she had with her when she was found three days later in her San Francisco hotel room. He also maintained that the use of such bullets are intended to do more damage than regular bullets, which he argued showed clear signs of premeditation. In addition, witness testimony claimed that a woman who resembled Teresa was seen waiting in a pickup truck outside Dr. Tavis's clinic on the morning he was shot. Municipal Court Judge Patricia Gray said the evidence presented showed there was probable cause to demonstrate special circumstances of lying in wait with a gun. It took the jury just nine hours to convict Teresa Mary Ramirez of the murder of Dr. Tavis and the attempted murder of Kay Carter. She was sentenced to two consecutive life terms at California's Valley State Prison for Women after her defense dropped her insanity plea. Teresa finally acknowledged that though she couldn't remember committing the crimes, she could not dispute her identity as Dr. Tavis's killer, given her possession of the murder weapon and strong evidence of motive. In the end, Teresa Ramirez had to own up to the ugly truth behind her pursuit of perfection. Body dysmorphic disorder, or BDD, affects approximately 2% of the U.S. population, about one out of every 50 people. It is one of the most misunderstood mental illnesses, often seen by family and friends as excessive vanity or just a stage a self-conscious teenager will grow out of. Teresa Ramirez clearly had some physical complaints about her breasts in addition to her unhappiness over how they looked. However, there appeared to be no question that she became increasingly obsessed with what others thought were imagined or minor flaws in their appearance. I spoke with the prosecutor in this case, who talked about Teresa's increasingly strange behavior prior to the murders, her disheveled appearance at the trial, and her multiple suicide attempts. 
Underneath the obsession associated with body dysmorphic disorder is deep emotional pain, such as anxiety, depression, and past trauma. Treating these underlying issues with cognitive behavioral therapy and antidepressants is a proven path to healing from this disorder. Unfortunately, between 26 and 40% of individuals with body dysmorphic disorder turn to cosmetic surgery as a cure. The majority of the time, they feel no satisfaction or relief from any surgical procedures because the problem isn't how they looked, it's how they felt. This can start a pattern of more surgery, more unhappiness, and even more surgery. Without help, 25% of body dysmorphia sufferers attempt suicide, and in extremely rare cases, like that of Teresa Barry Ramirez, commit murder.